My pleasure to introduce Dr. Ron Michiwasu, who's a professor of medicine, hematology oncology at UCLA, who's going to talk to us about non-AIDS-defining cancers and HIV, not only the prevalence, but also the important issue about how we should be screening our patients whose HIV is under great control, inflammatory markers are all low, but we're worried about other problems, including the non-HIV-related cancers. Okay, thank you. All right, well, good afternoon. And it's always difficult following Dr. Treisman. I, I think uh, you all realize what a great speaker he is and, and uh, how much important information he's uh, transferred to all of us. Well, I'm going to talk to you about um, the so-called non-AIDS-defining cancers today. And um, first off, let's start with disclosures. I uh, won't go through them all. Um, and these are the learning objectives, which I think are pretty clear. Um, Dr. Follinsby pretty much told you what they are. So our first question um, relates to uh, non-AIDS-defining cancers in general. And you have uh, five choices. Um, they are increasing in incidence for all cancers, uh, types in all of the HIV age groups, number two. They're higher in frequency in some populations uh, and in some cancer types, but not all. Uh, they are increasing as a reflection of better diagnostic tests and are being found at an earlier stage in HIV. Uh, or they are due primarily to faster immunosenescence in HIV or none of the above. So please make your selection now. Okay, let's see the answers. Okay, um, so many of you re recognize that they are higher in frequency in some populations and in some types of cancers, uh, but not all types of cancers. And we'll uh, talk more about that in a minute. Uh, the second question relates to screening uh, for cancer. Um, they should begin earlier in HIV uh, than in the general population, uh, too. Uh, the screening should be age appropriate for HIV uh, for all cancers and in all patients. Uh, number three, um, given the differences in risk of certain cancers, some screening should be more frequent in our HIV population. And four, we shouldn't really worry about cancer screening uh, since there are more important issues that we need to deal with. So please make your selection. Uh, great. Uh, I don't need to give my talk. You all know uh, the answers, um, but I, I hope we'll, by going through the information, we'll uh, reinforce some of these uh, points. Okay. Well, we're all very much familiar with the fact that the HIV population uh, is aging. Uh, this is not surprising as patients uh, live longer with HIV uh, as a result of our therapies. Um, in addition, there is uh, data showing what happens both in terms of the age distribution of HIV-related cancers uh, and uh, the incidence. And so what's shown here is some data from the National Cancer Institute looking at um, a large cohort of HIV-infected individuals across the U.S. And in the left-hand panel, 
Uh, left upper panel is the age distribution, as I shown you before, uh, which shows in blue the, that the population above the age of 40 is steadily increasing each year. Uh, in the upper right is the distribution or the age distribution of AIDS-defining cancers, and not surprisingly, that has declined quite steadily uh, over the years. Uh, the the uh, uh, tumor burden has declined, uh, but more importantly, the incidence has also declined. Uh, whereas in the lower uh, left-hand uh, panel uh, is the um, is the uh, cancer burden as well as the incidence, which is the dark line. Uh, for the non-AIDS-defining cancers. And the point here is that, um, as you can see, that the number of cases per year has steadily increased uh, and has uh, clearly overtaken our non-AIDS-defining, or the AIDS-defining cancers, uh, and that they, this is due almost exclusively to individuals in the blue who are over the age of 40. So if we look at cancer burden and cancer incidence, which is shown in the uh, overall, on the uh, lower right-hand uh, panel, we see that overall the incidence uh, has steadily declined uh, up to about 1997 and then kind of plateaued out at a relatively uh, low level. And that this is reflected primarily due to the decrease in cancers amongst the under 48 population in green. Uh, and this is not surprising because, as you all know, many of the cancers that we saw in the early days were related to Kaposi sarcoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and we're seeing far less of that. Um, so uh, this slide just is to emphasize the point that of all of the cancers that we see in HIV, uh, that recently uh, the non-AIDS-defining cancers uh, make up the majority, almost 60% uh, of all cancers uh, that we see in patients with HIV infection. Um, and if we look at the relative incidence uh, comparing the HIV population to the non-HIV population, uh, it's relatively high, uh, but has actually increased uh, for a couple of cancers. So for example, Hodgkin's lymphoma has gone from about a threefold higher uh, incidence uh, in the um, mid-1990s uh, to almost sevenfold higher uh, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and it's continued to go up. So it's about 10, 11 per, uh, 10 or 11 times higher now. Uh, similarly, if we look at some of these other cancers, uh, we see that while they're quite high, anal cancer has not really changed that much uh, in terms of the relative risk, although it is very high overall. Um, but then um, oral pharyngeal cancer, uh, like um, uh, laryngeal cancers, uh, have increased in relative frequency uh, as years have gone by, and we'll come back to uh, that in a minute. Now, if we talk about uh, the types of cancers uh, that we see in people with living, um, with, um, living with HIV, uh, there are the AIDS-defining cancers, which you're all familiar with, which are decreasing. Uh, some non-AIDS-defining cancers, which are clearly increasing, and we can talk both about the um, total number of cases, which is the so-called cancer burden uh, of, these, of these tumors, but also in many cases the incidence has also gone up, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, there are also uh, some cancers which are uh, very much um, uh, at greater uh, incidence in the HIV population uh, than in the non-HIV uh, 
population, but are still quite rare. Uh, so Merkel cell cancer, for example, leiomyosarcoma in the pediatric population, and salivary gland tumors, particularly lymphoepithelial uh, lympho cancers, uh, are quite rare but are increasing in incidence uh, and are at much higher frequency in HIV than in non-HIV. And then there are these um, more common type tumors which really have not uh, been shown to have a higher incidence in HIV than in non-HIV. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about that in, as well. Um, so the next two slides are basically just meant to show you that with the exception of Kaposi sarcoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, that the uh, cancer burden, the number of cases that are being seen per year in the United States, uh, have uh, increased with just about all of these cancers. So for example, cervical cancer uh, has increased, uh, although we really haven't seen that much of a change um, in the, um, in the uh, incidence, that is the number of cases per 100,000 uh, individuals per year, uh, at least uh, in the heart era. Uh, and if we look at all of these other um, so-called non-AIDS-defining cancers, I think it's pretty clear that the number of cases are increasing um, as years have gone by. Uh, but if we look at the incidence um, line here, we see that the, that the trends are different for different cancers. Uh, so for anal cancer and for prostate cancer, uh, there seems to be a, an increase in the incidence as the years have gone by, uh, whereas for other tumors, uh, such as um, liver cancer and colorectal cancers, are pretty flat. Uh, lung cancer, um, if you can believe this, looks like it's decreasing somewhat in incidence, uh, and that's probably because of the focus uh, more recently on trying to get people to quit smoking, which I think is one of the biggest prevention um, things that we can do for our patients. And then Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is uh, pretty flat, uh, although uh, if you look at the absolute numbers, these numbers have uh, increased quite dramatically in the heart era. Uh, so what are some of the factors that may contribute to this increase in cancer incidence? Uh, well, one of the um, major issues, of course, is that the, um, that the HIV population has increased um, by about fourfold. Uh, we also know that many of our HIV patients uh, start and continue to smoke uh, at an earlier age and into um, their uh, 40s and 50s. Uh, we know that there is this uh, increasing um, aging of our population uh, and that cancer incidence increases with age. Uh, but then again, there are many of these cancer where the, where, the, um, where the relative risk of these cancers uh, have clearly increased and in some cases it's increased quite dramatically, uh, such as with anal cancer um, and to a lesser degree with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So a big question that always comes up is, um, is there something about HIV uh, that causes these tumors uh, to occur? Uh, is, is HIV a cancer risk factor? Uh, or is this simply an epidemiologic phenomenon? Namely, um, as, the, um, as the population of HIV patients uh, increases, uh, is this being reflected in the higher incidence of cancers that we're now seeing uh, in our HIV population? And to try to get at that answer, 
Um, the uh, folks at the uh, epidemiology branch at the National Cancer Institute, again using data collected from uh, several uh, HIV cancer match registries around the country, uh, put together some what I thought was some very important information that was published uh, year before last um, in uh, the Annals of Internal Medicine. Um, and before I show you the data, I just wanted to show you two possible uh, scenarios. One is um, uh, a scenario in which the cancer risk in HIV, which is shown in the solid uh, lines here, is higher, but the age distribution is similar to the general population, which is in the lighter line here. Uh, on the other hand, if the cancer risk in HIV is higher, but it's also occurring at, the, at an earlier age, we would expect this curve uh, to be shifted somewhat to the left of the curve for the general population. So what they did um, with this data is that they adjusted um, the general population distribution for cancers in the United States uh, to fit the age distribution of what we would expect if the entire population was the same, had the same age distribution as the HIV population. So again, in the solid lines here, the HIV distribution uh, in the um, dash lighter lines, such as here and over here, are the um, US uh, general population cancer distribution uh, by age. And then um, the darker dash lines are the age adjusted uh, distribution for the entire US population uh, uh, adjusted for the distribution that we see in HIV. And so what you see here are, are, are different patterns with different types of cancers. So for example, if we look at, at prostate cancer at the top and colon cancer, uh, the HIV distribution, which is shown here, uh, is uh, lower, uh, but basically par uh, overlaps in distribution um, pattern that of the general population. Uh, so we would, we would say, no, there, is, there doesn't seem to be a shift to an earlier age for those cancers. Um, with other cancers, such as um, uh, liver cancer, for example, uh, we see that the distribution of the, um, of the ages are the same, uh, but it occurs in much higher uh, frequency in HIV than in non-HIV. Um, and uh, similarly for anal cancer, it's a much higher peak uh, but they basically overlap. Uh, on the other hand, um, there are cancers such as lung cancer uh, where the peak is higher, so the incidence is higher in HIV, um, and it is shifted somewhat to the left, so it's occurring at a younger population, uh, at a younger age, rather, um, in the HIV uh, group than in the non-HIV. And then finally, we see a, a yet a different distribution for Hodgkin's lymphoma, where the peak um, here is higher than the uh, age-adjusted non-HIV population, but the curve is actually shifted to the right. So what we're seeing is these cancers occurring at a somewhat older age than what we see in the general population. And this latter, um, um, this latter uh, pattern uh, is kind of interesting because we now believe 
that the reason we're seeing this shift in the distribution pattern is that almost all of the cases of Hodgkin's lymphoma and HIV are EBV related. Uh, whereas that in the general population, some are EBV related, namely that in the older population, uh, whereas others are not, which occur in the younger population. So we don't see this biphasic pattern that you kind of see here um, in the unadjusted distribution for the normal U.S. population. Um, and what we get, in a sense, is um, a shifting, if you will, uh, to the pattern that we typically see uh, in the older uh, general population. And that's due to, we believe, the fact that almost all of the Hodgkin's in HIV are EBV-related. Okay, now what about uh, cancer mortality? Um, well, up until recently, there was very little data. Um, the Kaiser Permanente people here in Northern California uh, and in Southern California actually have the best data set uh, over time. And they presented last year, it hasn't yet been published, but it should be shortly, uh, on a group of um, about 22,000 HIV-positive individuals um, compared to um, about a ten, tenfold higher group of non-HIV-infected individuals that were matched by age, sex, uh, clinic, and their uh, uh, initial year of follow-up. And then they looked at the five-year survival for those individuals who had these various incident cancers, such as prostate, anal, lung, and colorectal, and Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and what they found was um, that the mean age overall um, at diagnosis uh, for anal, lung, and colorectal cancer seemed to be a little earlier, at a younger age, if you will, uh, but not for prostate or Hodgkin's, which is kind of different than what um, I, I've shown you. But in any case, um, the HIV uh, diagnosis um, of cancer uh, in, this, in this population uh, was, in fact, um, at a higher stage for lung and Hodgkin's, uh, which is not surprising. Uh, but then there, they looked at the overall survival, and here, uh, the survival uh, for individuals with Hodgkin's lung and prostate uh, cancers seemed to be less uh, in HIV than in uh, the general population. Uh, and this just shows you the actual survival curves broken down by tumor types, uh, and it's clear that for Hodgkin's, for lung, and for prostate cancer that the outcomes uh, seem to be a little worse uh, in, in HIV, whereas for anal and colorectal cancers, uh, the survival are pretty much the same. Okay, so what about the pathogenesis of non-AIDS-defining cancers? Uh, well, I think there are, are, are a couple of points here. One is that many of these cancers are, in fact, virally associated, but not all of them. And I think the ones that we uh, know about that are virally associated are quite clear, such as hepatitis, uh, such as um, uh, EBV-associated tumors. Uh, these, these cancers um, are all seen with much higher frequency in HIV than in non-HIV. Uh, but there are other cancers, such as lung cancer, which, as far as we know, have not yet been shown to be associated with any viruses. Um, we know that uh, decreased immune surveillance and increased immune activation probably plays a big role in development of cancers. Um, it's also, there's a growing body of data to suggest that HIV may actually have some direct effect 
um, in activating certain cellular oncogenes uh, or proto, um, proto-oncogenes or, or in other cases may actually inhibit tumor suppressor genes. And most of this work uh, comes out of in vitro data uh, with cell lines, um, but they're also being looked at now um, in terms of the genomics of uh, specific tumors. And the National Cancer Institute actually has a very large study ongoing now in which they're collecting tumor specimens uh, for a variety of different cancers uh, in HIV and comparing that to the, to the genetic expression um, in non-HIV patients. And hopefully that will give us some better ideas as to which specific oncogenes or tumor suppressor genes or other genes may in fact be directly affected uh, in these individuals. Uh, the genetic instability um, um, within these, can- these uh, tumors uh, may, in fact, be uh, somewhat higher in HIV than in non-HIV. Uh, there's also suggestion that certain carcinogens may have a greater effect, uh, such as tobacco in HIV than in non-HIV, whether this is due to um, endothelial cell abnormalities uh, that are uh, caused by HIV or not is unclear. Uh, But clearly, uh, I think, um, like in most situations, this is probably a multiplicity of factors that may be contributing uh, to this uh, higher uh, or this increased incidence of cancers that we're seeing in general uh, within our HIV population. So of the various cancers that are virally associated, I think uh, everyone is, is familiar with this. Uh, clearly, all of the AIDS, so-called AIDS-defining cancers are uh, virally associated, but many of the so-called non-AIDS-defining cancers also are virally associated, and this list continues to grow. Uh, most recently, uh, Merkel cell uh, cancer, uh, which has been seen with about a 20-fold higher uh, relative risk in HIV than in non-HIV, has been shown to be uh, associated with a, D- a new DNA virus that's been given the the name Merkel cell virus. Okay, so what about some of the uh, risk factors that are associated with higher incidence of cancer among our HIV patients? Well, not surprisingly, as one gets older, uh, the risk of cancer goes up. Um, Also, if one looks at the um, uh, racial ethnic um, uh, distribution of cancers, At least in a few studies, um, it's been shown that the risk amongst Caucasians and Hispanics seems to be higher uh, compared to African-American, which is perhaps somewhat counterintuitive, but that's what has been shown so far. Uh, We know that heart treatment uh, seems to be protective for some AIDS-defining cancers, uh, but not so much for non-AIDS-defining cancers. And there was a report at this year's CROI meeting from the INSIGHT group Um, that showed that amongst those non-AIDS-defining cancers that are virally associated, uh, that there is a closer correlation with uh, the um, CD4 count within the past 10 years of AIDS diagnoses um, with lower CD4 counts during that period predicting a higher risk of cancer, uh, but only for those with with virally associated NADC and not so much with those that are not virally associated. Now, what about uh, immune senescence? Um, uh, There have been a number of uh, reports 
uh, in the literature that suggests or that shows that the so-called aging phenotype, that is um, a distribution of uh, various um, Im immune phenotypic markers, uh, which are seen in the older populations, such as uh, 80s and 90-year-old Scandinavians, where the work has been done, uh, is very similar to what we see in HIV. Uh, so the population of CD28 negative cells, both in fours and eights, uh, shorter telomeres, um, higher incidence or higher uh, proportion of CD31 negative uh, cells, particularly amongst the, um, the naive T cell population, and a higher proportion of CD56, CD57 positive cells uh, are seen in HIV individuals um, age-matched compared to the non-HIV population. And this has uh, given rise to some suggestion that perhaps immunologically our patients uh, age faster. And this may also be contributing uh, to an increased incidence of cancers. Now, I want to spend the rest of my time talking uh, about screening and prevention um, uh, activities, because I think this impacts on your practices uh, uh, to a great degree. And uh, the first thing is that there are uh, some specific guidelines that have been uh, promulgated both by the American Cancer Society, the N NCI, as well as the U.S. Prevention Services Task Force. Uh, and they relate to these very common cancers. So for cervical cancer, uh, one should start uh, uh, pap testing these individuals uh, within three years of first intercourse or beginning at 21 years of age. And then uh, continue um, with yearly PAP for uh, between every one and two years, um, um, unless they have three normal PAPs, in which case one can go to every three years. Uh, for prostate cancer, the guidelines have changed, so there are, there are no specific um, uh, frequency at which one should be doing PSA testing, uh, but a digital rectal exam is certainly uh, recommended. And that for individual uh, individuals, you may want to recommend uh, more frequent PSA testing. For breast cancers, um, breast uh, clinical exams uh, should be every three years, uh, between 20 and 30 years of age, and then yearly after age 40. Uh, and then for colon cancer, a flexig every five years or colonoscopy every 10 years. And then other cancer screening are really pretty much based on risk factors uh, and medical history. Um, now, the unfortunate thing is that while these uh, guidelines uh, are out there and, and most physicians are aware of them, uh, we really don't do as good a job as we could in terms of uh, uh, cancer screening of our HIV population. And there are um, a couple of reports, these are small reports, usually at single institutions, um, that suggest that perhaps we're not doing as good a job in our HIV patients as, as we do for non-HIV patients. And there may be lots of reasons for that, not the least of which is that we really do get focused on um, how they're doing with their viral loads and their CD4 counts and looking for metabolic complications and heart disease and a variety of other things that perhaps we don't think that much about cancer. Um, there have also been some recent reports uh, in the literature, which you've probably heard about, uh, with regards to whether for certain high-risk individuals 
who are smokers and let's say above the age of, of uh, 50, uh, that we might think about uh, doing some uh, CT scanning as part of screening uh, for these uh, older individuals. Now, um, amongst the, um, uh, the HIV population, there are ad additional concerns, not the least of which is that there may be a high incidence of false positive abnormalities that we might detect on CT scans, uh, which may um, pretty much obviate the potential benefit of uh, detecting um, uh, a few numbers of, of uh, cancer patients by routine CT scanning. Uh, and then with all the discussions that we had earlier about the cost of healthcare, this obviously will have impact as well. And so uh, there was uh, a, a, a presentation at um, Lasher's Croy that looked at a small uh, convenience cohort of individuals at the VA hospital who were HIV positive and compared them to a small number of HIV negative individuals. These are the, um, the demographics and the smoking history of these individuals uh, from that cohort. And uh, what they uh, demonstrated was that there was a fairly high number of, of uh, abnormal CTs that were found in this population. Uh, and that uh, if we look at some of these uh, changes, such as emphysematous changes, um, also if we look at the uh, number of um, individuals with lymphadenopathy, that the HIV patients actually do have um, slightly more of these abnormalities than the non-HIV patients. And when, and even though it's a small number of, of, of patients in these studies, we see that they really didn't diagnose uh, very much cancer um, in this um, convenience cohort. So I think the jury's still out as to whether routine screening for lung cancer will have much benefit. Certainly it's not going to, um, it, it's going to be confounded by a lot of abnormalities, uh, which may mean that one would go into a lot of ec extra evaluation for these individuals that may not necessarily be all that uh, helpful. Uh, now, what about anal genital cancer? Well, this may be a different situation. Uh, we all know how important uh, cervical cancer screening uh, is and how uh, it has impacted the significant decline in cervical cancer uh, detection in the Western world. Um, in uh, much of the rest of the world, however, cervical cancer continues to be the number one cancer amongst women, uh, especially in the HIV population. And you're all very familiar with the importance of uh, anal cancer in the HIV population. And this is some data that was uh, just published um, earlier this month that showed that um, if, if we look at what's been happening with squamous anal cell cancer in the United States, there's been a very dramatic increase and a steady increase in the incidence of these cancers uh, since about 1989 onward. And if we uh, compare that to, to the adenocarcinomas in the anus, uh, which may be um, a, a different disease altogether, uh, we see that there really has not been a big change. And the authors of this paper um, um, discuss the fact that a large number of these cases um, uh, are attributable to HIV-infected individuals. So this clearly has been a major uh, concern. Now, what about screening guidelines? Well, there are no uh, specific national or international guidelines, although the New York 
State Department of Health does recommend uh, anal pap screening, but they don't tell you what to do at, if you get a positive. So without having a secondary uh, means of determining uh, the incidence of cancer and what to do about them, it really is not all that helpful. Uh, within the AIDS clinical trials group, we did look uh, at anal cancer screening as part of um, a um, HPV vaccination study. And interestingly, uh, even though these patients were a selected population that came to our clinics primarily to enter a HPV vaccination study, we did find a large proportion of these HIV-positive men being negative for HPV 6, 16 and 18, a lot higher than we had thought. Uh, so it does suggest that vaccinating these individuals uh, would be worthwhile. And just to show you the um, uh, geometric mean titers as a result of a three-dose vaccination study amongst the HIV-positive uh, MSMs that we got, titers that were um, very good, not quite as high as in the general male population, uh, but these probably are protective levels of, um, of antibody titers that uh, uh, does suggest that these things are useful. And finally, with regards to what to do about um, dysplasia, if you were to find them, uh, there is this, there is this one report, which is really the only report that's been made so far, that have looked at a randomization of imiquimod versus topical uh, 5-FU versus electrocautery, uh, which shows, unfortunately, that while we get pretty good response rates, the complete response rates uh, to certainly the topical treatments are not very good, uh, 17 to 26%, a little better with electrocautery. Uh, but what was particularly distressing is that the relapse rate at six months is still quite high for all of these methodologies, uh, perhaps the lowest with electrocautery. And so within the AMC, we've looked at infrared coagulation that Joel Polefsky and others here in San Francisco pioneered. And we get much um, higher response rates and a recurrence rate, um, at least at, at, at four years, uh, that is uh, under 10%. So it's still... Um, I think the jury's still out as to what specific treatments we should use, but I think it is clear that if we can intervene early that we should be able to reduce the incidence uh, of these cancers. So just um, the last word relates to uh, some general recommendations. Uh, clearly smoking cessation should be high on your list. Uh, hepatitis vaccination as well as HPV vaccination. Um, particularly for those who are negative, but it's unclear whether, in fact, vaccinating positives may have a, a potential benefit as well. And there's some studies that are ongoing to look at that. Uh, treating active hepatitis C uh, would be useful for a lot of different reasons. Uh, yearly uh, cervical uh, pap testing, and it's questionable whether yearly anal pap testing uh, makes a difference. Um, but certainly, if there are abnormalities found here, or if the patients undergo high-resolution anoscopy on a regular basis, that these would, in fact, um, ultimately, I think, also help us detect cancers early, since there's a long lag period for the development of cancer. Uh, sunscreen and avoiding sun overexposure, having a high index of suspicion, uh, clearly looking for family associations, and then um, uh, following the general um, 
recommendations for screening, uh, as in the general population, would all be useful. And then, of course, uh, heart therapy for HIV. Uh, so in conclusion, then, um, I think uh, the HIV population, uh, as it ages, and because of these persistent immune abnormalities, are higher risk for cancers. The risk varies with the type of cancers, but it has clearly, uh, the burden of cancers have clearly increased in all cases. Uh, as a minimum, I think we should be screening individuals um, according to uh, age and gender appropriate screening recommendations. And finally, um, uh, we'll need to do further uh, prospective studies in order to get a better handle on both treatment and prevention of these malignancies. So I think that's it. Should we go through the questions again? Or everyone got the questions right, so I don't know if we need to do that. <laughs> so we'll we'll let you slide on this one. Okay, we have time for. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we have a, a, a couple questions about there seem to be different society recommendations for pap smears and HPV testing, mm -hmm. some of which actually, you know, apparently are not based on onset of intercourse, others which are. Right. So can you maybe review, again, what your recommendations are? Is there a role for routine HPV testing? Does it change the frequency of PAPs in the setting of HIV? Um, if we don't see HPV in cervical screening of women, with HIV, should we be vaccinating those people, even if they're beyond the age 26? What are your recommendations around? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a lot of different questions. But um, I think <laughs> um, clearly, um, uh, by looking for HPV, uh, there have been suggestions that we might be able to have a more sensitive way of detecting those people at highest risk for developing uh, dysplasia and ultimately cancer. And there are studies that are ongoing in various parts of the world to kind of answer that. Um, certainly, um, if, if you do have an individual who's HPV positive, they are at higher risk. Now, whether that would then make you want to monitor them more closely or not, it's hard to say. I think our recommend, general recommendations, at least in the US, is to monitor everyone who's in the sexually um, active age range with kind of a yearly pap test. Uh, and that's really reduced the incidence of cervical cancer almost to zero in the U.S. So it has had an impact. Um, whether that should be routine around the world or not, I think that will remain to be seen. It certainly um, should do what we think it should do, whether it's as cost effective or not, I think remains to be seen. Uh, whether you should be vaccinating those folks that are negative, I would, very definitely. And I think our study that had individuals who were somewhat older than the standard age for recommended HPV testing would suggest that they do uh, develop a good Im immune response to the vaccine. And so I think it does behoove you if, if you know that they're HPV negative to go ahead. Um, there was a question about, so sort of a patient gets diagnosed with prostate cancer or breast cancer or lung cancer, do we, and they ask us, well, gee, I have HIV, I'm on treatment. Should I do chemo radiation therapy light? Should I get the same as my identical twin sister, or should I get more therapy because I have HIV? Does, how does HIV impact treatment of some of these malignancies yeah, yeah. in general? 
Yeah, it, that's also a very difficult question to answer. I think with certain cancers such as lymphoma, which we know are curable in most cases, uh, the data does suggest that the more aggressive you can be, the better uh, likelihood it is that you're going to get them into remission and then ultimately for long-term survival. Uh, whether that's the case with other cancers or not, just no data. Uh, I think they deserve at least what we're giving to the non-HIV population. And whether they should be getting or not be getting, um, you know, more aggressive treatment, that will have to come out of, I think, some of our clinical trials. So we, I'm told we should not defer the question because for continuing education credit, so, uh, we need to ask the question again. So we will ask uh, oh, your two okay. questions again. All right. Close this talk. <laughs> All right. So this is the question re regarding uh, the epidemiology of AIDS defining cancers. You want to pick your, your response. Okay, let's see the answers. Okay, that looks pretty much like what we saw before. Oh, it's a little better. Good, good. And the second question relates to screening. All right, and the answer is okay, terrific. You guys did a great job. Thank great. you. Thank you very much. You did a great job, too. So in 1979, when I was trying to make a decision about my future, I went into infectious diseases, not having recognized that I was seeing HIV seroconversion at Samson General UCSF, thinking that infectious diseases uh, offered the only subspecialty in internal medicine work to actually cure people. Uh, it's taken 34 years to... Uh, have Dr. Chip Schooley come up and talk to us about the sort of fruition of my dream to actually